All right, well, today I get the distinct privilege to introduce you to our guest speaker. He's not so much of a guest. He was on staff here for seven years, from like 98 to 2005. So he's not a stranger to a lot of you, but to some of you is. He is, he is a integral part of my life and, and me becoming the man that I am today. And I just want to introduce you, and would you give him a warm welcome to Tony Cheney? Good morning. I'm uh, really excited to be here and humbled too. Um, just really excited, thrilled uh, for what God is uh, doing in this community through all of you guys. Uh, it's amazing. Your impact in this community has been, uh, um, it's unquestioned. You've taken ownership of this, this part of town and beyond, and it's just really fun to see the Lord work. And I have a lot of great memories of this place, the people. Um, it's crazy how just being in here just for a couple hours, <clears throat> being in here a couple hours, just the memories come flooding back. In fact, um, one of them hit me uh, just last service. I was walking up over this choir pit, and uh, this may not sound like a good memory to you, but it really was to me. But um, I'm convinced that years ago, the men in this church uh, covered this choir pit in part because we had, <laughs> I had so many middle school and high school students falling into it. <laughs> um, when we played death tag, um, death tag, we shut all the lights down, you have glow-in-the-dark balls, and you're playing tag in the dark. And uh, so we had, uh, we had to cover the pit because kids were getting hurt. But uh, nobody died. Well, wait. No, no nobody died. Um, I want to say thank you first before we j jump into this. Uh, so many of you have prayed for us uh, over the years, or over the years, over the months, um, through this crisis. Um, you encouraged us. Uh, the encouragement came from a lot of different directions and uh, in a lot of different ways. And I'm not sure how we would have gotten through it uh, had it not been for the prayer, uh, the notes. Uh, even the, the encouraging gifts at times that just came at just the right, the right time. So thank you so much. And, uh, and a lot of it came from this fellowship, and we just, uh, we just appreciate it so much. Uh, but you guys, uh, you all have been in a series. I think it started about three weeks ago. Um, you guys are exploring God's goodness, His greatness, and His faithfulness. Uh, through the lives, telling of stories of, of the lives of people right here in this fellowship, but also um, exploring God's Word and looking at real people in the Bible and how God just shined through with His greatness and faithfulness in the lives of, of men and women in the Bible, just like us. Uh, so we want to continue that today. And uh, the topic uh, that I picked today has to do with suffering. Um, how do you suffer well? Uh, we're going to explore God's Word. We're going to look at some questions, four questions specifically. One is, who suffers? How do they respond? Why do we suffer? And what is our hope? And uh, those are big questions, aren't they? Uh, you could spend uh, a whole weekend, maybe even a whole series on each one of those questions, but we're just going to scrape the tip of the iceberg this morning. We're going to uh, move through it kind of quick. So we're, there's going to be some holes in it, but I'm hoping that we can, we can get enough of a picture uh, of that topic that we can all walk away uh, from here today and just have some tools, some handles on, on how we would suffer, suffer well should we, should we be asked to do that. Um, 
I might even just recommend uh, in your bulletin, I'm going to open up the fire hose today with some scripture. I'm just going to throw it at you. Uh, but if you could even just write down the scripture references in your, in your outline, it'd be great for you to just find a good study Bible when you get home this week. Uh, with the scripture and maybe uh, a Bible that has maybe a little bit of commentary at the bottom. I think you could really be blessed if you just unpacked it on your own uh, this week. The Holy Spirit will teach you a lot more than, than what I can throw at you today. All right, let's pray and then we'll, we'll jump into it. God, we just, uh, we just come before you uh, truly humbled. Um, nobody who s- stands up on this stage or, you know, sits in the seats you know, there's, there's nothing extraordinary about any of us. Uh, you just choose to use us in all of our weakness, and uh, somehow it brings glory and honor to your name. And so, Father, I pray that you would make your, your Holy Spirit and your presence known. Uh, we know that you're in this place. Uh, you are thick in this place. I just pray, Father, that you would open our hearts and minds to be able to, to hear what you're saying and doing. Uh, and Father, that you would give me the words to speak, that they would come from you. And uh, we just praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I can say uh, officially today that I am a cancer survivor. And, yeah. <clears throat> wasn't, uh, wasn't a childhood dream, or it's not on my bucket list or anything, but um, I am nonetheless. And so really thankful for that. Uh, they're going to watch me really, really close for a couple years. There's always a chance it could sneak back, and I uh, certainly don't want that to happen. But, you know, right now, my, my family and I, were just really just soaking in uh, the good news, and we're just trying to take one day at a time. Um, so I want to share uh, my story a little bit. Not a lot about me, but a little bit. Uh, our, my family, kind of what we've been through here a little bit. And I think it would be good if I just shared a little bit of backstory, a little bit of context before we get into the impact of what you know, the cancer had on us emotionally a little bit. So if we jump back early May, early May of this last year, I just started developing some symptoms. Uh, it was just a, a throat-clearing cough wasn't anything significant. It wasn't anything that most people even noticed it, but I just eventually noticed it because it was just kind of annoying that I would have to clear my, clear my, um, my lungs every now and then. It was just a, <clears throat> and that was it. Uh, it did progress as the, the weeks and months went on, but it wasn't really nothing to, to be concerned about, I didn't think. Had a little bit of fatigue, but then, you know, I turned 47 years old, and, and uh, you know, you just... I think you just kind of get that now and then <laughs> when you get older. So I didn't think a lot of it. Uh, we got to early July, and then I was at the Y here in town, and I was just, I was just doing some push-ups, just warming up for a workout. I got down on the floor, and I, I, I got about three push-ups in, and my head just felt like it was going to explode. Just not pain, but just a lot of pressure and I remember just thinking so clearly, I just kind of went flat on my stomach and on my elbows. I just remember thinking to myself, now, that's new. I've never felt that before. And so I thought, well, probably got something bacterial going on. Something bacterial going on respiratory-wise, and it's messing something else up. Didn't think a whole lot about it, but I did make a doctor appointment. Mid-July, I'm in at the local doctor, and 
he uh, suspected the same thing. A lot of everything really checked out good on the surface. Uh, got some antibiotics, got an inhaler, and used that for a couple weeks, and the symptoms were still there. In fact, a uh, couple of the symptoms were kind of ramped up a little bit. Uh, so I went back to the doctor, and he ordered uh, an x-ray, got an x-ray done. He looked at the, the report, he looked at the, the, the x-ray, and he was concerned by something he saw. You know, at that time, you know, Angie and I, we didn't really ask any hard questions. We just like, okay. Um, but he scheduled a CT scan for the next morning uh, at the hospital. And that was July 31. Came in that morning, uh, did the CT scan, got back into the, uh, the examination room with the doctor later, um, looking at the charts, looking at the report, and he was still... Obviously, I, we could see it now. He was, he was more concerned um, about what he was seeing. He said he wanted to refer, us to refer me to a specialist. And so he left the room, went out to make a phone call. And uh, that day, uh, we got an appointment with a, an oncologist, you know, in, in Fort Wayne. And so the word oncologist, nobody ever wants to hear that. Um, but... I'm not really sure why. I still, just, I still just really thought this is just going to end up being some walking pneumonia or something that they're going to treat and kind of send me out. So we got up uh, that afternoon, went up to Fort Wayne, and uh, we are sitting in an examination room uh, with one of the leading pulmonary oncologists in the region. And that doctor uh, looked at me and he said, the word he used to describe what he saw in my chest was the word frightening. <laughs> what? You know, who says that? You know, a guy with all this experience, all, all the things that he's seen, why would he use the word frightening? And it literally, it scared Angie and I a lot. I mean, we just, we broke down in the room and we just started crying. Um, things moved pretty quick at that point. Uh, it was uh, August 5. August 5, by August 5, I had had a PET scan and uh, two biopsies on the tumor and, and it all revealed that I had a, a very aggressive, growing uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. It was a tumor in my chest. And it had grown to the point that it was pushing against my lungs, pushing against my bronchioles. Praise God it wasn't in my lungs, but it was pushing against it, causing the cough. And it was also pushing against a main artery, which was interrupting this blood flow from my head to my heart. And it just wasn't, blood wasn't leaving my head like it should when I would exert myself. So it was causing all those symptoms. But how, what was the impact of all this? Um, you know, that's kind of the facts of kind of what led up to it. Um, but the biggest impact that I would say would be um, the month of August. If we look at the month, just look at the month of August, the, the best word that I could use to, to characterize or describe August is fear. Um, maybe even uh, terror would be a better way to describe August. It was, 
it was just so much to get my head around. Um, you know, Angie and I, we just, we had so many talks just on the other side of the pond, sitting in the grass and just crying and just talking and talking about things that, talking about things that we never imagined that we would be talking about, at least not at this point in our life. You know, those are conversations you have down the road, but here we were, you know, having these conversations now, and we just, just felt so ill-prepared to have the conversations. So it was a really scary time. And <clears throat> so those things that were driving the fear, I mean, certainly there was things for all of us. I'm going to, for the sake of time, I'm just going to talk about the stuff that was really driving my fear. Um, if I had to pick a top three, these would be the top three. Uh, but one of them was certainly a, a fear of leaving my family, of leaving my wife without a husband, of leaving my kids um, without a dad. And I was stuck. I was stuck in these, uh, um, I was stuck on, on the worst case scenarios. Everybody was telling me, you know, early on, you know, really stay positive. It's, it's going to help you with the healing and all this stuff. And, you know, I was like, okay, you know, I don't know how you do that. But, you know, I was trying. But I just, I, for those initial weeks, I just was stuck on the worst case scenarios. And, you know, I had spent some, uh, you know, almost 20 years you know, watching a number of kids uh, grow up without dads. And it's tough. It's not impossible. It, it, it works, it, it can work out, but it's tough. Um, widows, widowers, uh, trying to move on after the loss of a spouse. And it's tough. The sun shines again. Um, they pick the pieces up, they move on. But it's, it's tough, and I was just trying to get my head around that. The other fear, uh, the other fear, I really was afraid of suffering. I was not afraid to die. I had a real peace about what was on the other side of the grave for me. But I, I found myself suddenly really scared of how I would die. You know, what would, what would I, what would my my wife and my children, what would we have to experience between now and then? And it, it really, it scared me. And it also scared me that uh, really for the first time in my life, I don't, I don't know of another time in my life where I had this fear, but for the first time in my life, I was really scared that I was having a hard time embracing some of the truths that I was finding in God's Word. And I love God's Word. I mean, it is my anchor. But all of a sudden, I just found myself in this place where I was going to some places in God's Word, and I just, I understood what it was saying. I got it, but I couldn't make the connection. I just was having a really hard time believing it and embracing it. It hit me first with a psalm. Uh, years ago, I memorized Psalm 23. 
uh, it's, an, it's an ancient song, uh, probably written uh, 1000 BC, uh, and probably by a shepherd boy, David, who turned warrior, who turned king. But he probably wrote this psalm early on in his, you know, God's call in his life. And the lyrics of that song, it, 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 it just, it calmed me in duller times. But now, the words haunted me. I couldn't even get past the first verse. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. I would recite that last phrase, and I would just have to stop because I couldn't get past it because I wanted more. And I was just, that was just kind of the tip of the iceberg. But it was just that kind of stuff. And it's like, what is going on? On my first full day of chemo, I wrote this in my journal. <clears throat> I wrote August 19, 2015, 1 a.m. I'm alone and laying in a hospital bed. The room is dark, except for glowing technology and city light that slips past the slats in the window. It's quiet, save the incessant ticking of pumps. I've just completed 13 hours of continuous chemotherapy and have 89 hours more before I finish, before I finish round one and go home. I will repeat this 102-hour cycle six times over the next five months, and I'm just trying to get my head around it and trying to come to grips with it still. And so I, I started reciting Psalm 23 again while I was laying there. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. And I just, I, I pushed through. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. And that was the New Living Translation, if that looked a little different to some of you. I use that all the way through. But I, I re recited that psalm over and over that night, over and over for what must have been a couple hours. I also, I confessed out loud to the Lord uh, that I was having a really difficult time in trusting, trusting Him to, to be with my wife and my children, to take care of me and my family. I also thanked him. I started thanking him out loud. I didn't feel like it. <laughs> I didn't feel like thanking him, but I just, 
I thanked him out loud for allowing this into my life and for what he might be able to do through it. And then I can't explain it uh, for reasons I still don't completely understand. From the top of my head to the tip of my toes, God's peace just completely overwhelmed me. And even his joy, if you can imagine that, It didn't make any sense. I didn't deserve it, but it was there, and it was, it was from God. I slept like a baby the rest of the night and even into the next morning, just slept like a baby. I don't remember, I couldn't remember sleeping that good. But I turned a corner uh, that, that night, and when I turned the corner, I really started seeing all the ways that God was showing up in the midst of the crisis. I was kind of blinded to it, but, but I started seeing it now. Um, example, the, uh, we found out later that it wasn't just a coincidence that I got an appointment that day with the leading pulmonary oncologist in the, in the region. I come to find out, I mean, they, 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 were, they were booked solid for like two months. But came to find out after getting to know, getting to know that doctor, uh, he shared with us that, you know, he just happened to be uh, in that area when the phone call came from my local doctor into the office to the scheduler receptionist. He just happened to be there within earshot. He said he wasn't in tune with the conversation but he said, he said this, he said, but I heard the Holy Spirit speak to my heart and it said, take that patient on the phone. The man saw me on his lunch break that day. I mean, only God can do that. And it's just a little thing. Stuff like that's happening all the time. I just, I was just starting to see it. So God was now making himself known. And uh, today, um, I decided to focus on this topic, topic because throughout this journey, this, these months, we, we've gotten a lot of questions and a lot of maybe even comments, um, you know, like, how does this happen? Why would Tony get cancer? Uh, he's young, he's healthy, he's serving God. In some shape or form, we were, I was getting all these questions, um, and, and all of them had to do with suffering. And in some ways, how unfair it seemed. And so I just felt, felt the Lord kind of leading me on that topic today. So let's jump in. Let's look at some stories of people in the Bible, real people, just like you and me. Um, the first question, who suffers? Well, the rebellious will suffer. If we look through the Bible and we, we, we ask ourselves the question, who suffers? Will the rebellious suffer? Jonah Let's look at him a little bit. We know that name. He was a God follower. Uh, he was also God's prophet. God spoke to the people through Jonah, his prophet. And in Jonah's time, uh, Israel had pretty much, they've, they lived through their golden years uh, under King David, under King Solomon. Uh, the, the kingdom of Israel had split uh, the tribe of Judah the tribes of Judah and Benjamin were to the, to the south, and they were kind of an on-and-off war, civil war, with their, their brothers, the other tribes in the north, known as Israel. 
Well, even though those brothers were fighting, they still had a common enemy that they hated even more, and that was the Assyrians. They hated them. Assyria was, was growing in power. They would soon be a superpower in the whole region. Eventually, they would swallow up Israel and, and begin to threaten Judah. But God wanted to reach the Assyrians too. And in a, in a strange twist, um, God wanted to use his prophet Jonah to get that done. Uh, God was going to send Jonah to their capital city of Nineveh to try to turn them from their wickedness, turn them from their idolatry and rebellion and try to set things straight. Uh, but look what happens. The first opening verses of Jonah. It says, The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. He said, Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and he went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. It's a great story from the first opening verses to the end. It would be a fascinating read for you this week if you could, could jump into it. But Jonah ran to some distant land hoping he could get away from God. He was hoping to run away from God's divine purpose and plan for his life. Jonah had some things in his life that God was trying to fix. And Jonah ran. Well, you can't run far enough or fast enough. Those issues always catch up. Those issues always catch up with us. You and me both, every single one of us, have purchased that ticket to Tarshish. And we, we run. But Jonah boards the boat. God sends a storm. Uh, the sailors throw Jonah overboard. Miraculously, the storm stops, and God sends this great fish to swallow up Jonah, takes him deep in the sea. And the, the fish basically takes Jonah back to the starting line. God says, you know, Jonah, let's, let's try this again. Let's just start over. And so that's what he does. So how, how does Jonah respond to suffering? He repents. Verses 1 through 4, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me, I was buried beneath your wind and stormy waves. Then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence. Yet I will look once more towards your holy temple. And that's, that's kind of prophet speak for saying, you know, God, I'm, I'm turning back to you. 
But Jonah said, essentially, Jonah said, God, you're right. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I'm turning around. I'm turning it around, and I'm turning back towards you. That's repentance. Turning. That's what it is. Jonah suffered well. Who suffers? The rebellious will suffer. Let's look at the prodigal son. Jesus tells this story. Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son. Prodigal, uh, reckless, wayward, uh, wasteful. Jesus tells a story of a young man who, who rejects his father's lavish love. He takes his portion of the family fortune. He, he runs to some distant land and he just, he, he wastes it on just all sorts of evil living. But pretty soon the money's gone. The friends leave. The pleasures and the comforts, they're no more. And he begins to suffer. He begins to suffer the consequences of his evil actions. And I will say the story really, the moral of the story that Jesus tells um, is it's about a loving father who, who welcomes his son back with open arms. In fact, he's watching for his son to return. He's so passionate about his son. He's so passionate and, and, and so desires for his son to, to come back that he's watching for him, watching the horizon and waiting for him to return. But for our purposes today, I want us to see what made the reunion even possible in the first place. How does the prodigal son, how does he respond to suffering? He repents. In verses 18 and 19, he says, I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. And so, repentance comes in a lot of shapes and sizes, right? But we can boil it down. God, you're right. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I'm turning and I'm heading in a new direction. That's crucial. Because you see, to say, God, you're right. I was wrong. I'm sorry, please forgive me, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue down this path away from you. That's not repentance. That's, that's, that's still rebellion. I've just, I've just dressed it up and slapped some lipstick on it and maybe some cologne, but it's still, it's still rebellion. To suffer well means to, to use that suffering in turn. At least that's what I'm seeing in Scripture. Let's keep going. Who suffers? The righteous will suffer. The righteous will suffer. We know Job. Opening verses, or the opening verse of Job, it says, There once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless. Not perfect, but he was blameless. A man of complete integrity. He feared God and he stayed away from evil. Job was righteous. He loved God with, with all of his heart. He had a big family. He was very wealthy. 
he was powerful, uh, very generous, and he was really, really wise. He had a lot of wisdom, and he shared it. But look what happens in verses 6 through 12. It says, one day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from? The Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord, I've been patrolling the earth. It's interesting. Watching everything that's going on. Then the Lord asked Satan, Have you noticed my servant Job? And of course, God knew that Satan saw it. God knew the answer to the question. That's why he egged him on. Have you noticed my servant Job? He's the finest man in all the earth. He's blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. And Satan replied to the Lord, Yes, but Job has good reason to fear God. You've always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You've made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But reach out and take away everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, you may test him. The Lord said to Satan, Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. Satan killed Job's family took away all of his wealth, all of his possessions, and eventually struck Job with just a horrible, painful disease. That was round two. What we read was, was round one. Satan came back for round two. Horrible disease. But Job, Job wasn't just a righteous person who, who also just happened to suffer. Here we learn that that Job suffered because he was righteous. Job's life on earth, it, it was bringing so much glory to the Lord. He, his life on earth was such a, a wonderful testimony of God's goodness and faithfulness and greatness. It got Satan's attention. Job's righteousness prompted the attack. The righteous are going to suffer. So how did he respond? Verses 20 through 22, Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. He grieved. Then he shaved his head in grief and fell to the ground to worship. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. And all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Through Job's praise, not only did it bring healing to him, but it also brought great glory to God. By praising God, um, Job was also, he was dealing a horrible blow to Satan. A horrible, humiliating blow to Satan in the midst of that praise. And you know what? Job didn't even know it. 
just like we don't know. You and I do not know what's going on in the heavenly realms in the midst of our suffering. But there's something big going on. So Job suffered well because he praised God. Who suffers? The righteous will suffer. Let's look at Paul and Silas. In the book of Acts, we see that uh, Paul and Silas were, were sharing God's story to everybody they came into contact with. Every town they went through, they were just sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection, and what that meant. And they suffered for it. It's called persecution. And it might look different than the type of loss and the disease that, that Job experienced, but, but it's, all, it's, it's all from the hand of Satan. And in that way, it's the same. In Acts chapter 16, it says, A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape, so the jailer put them into the... Because the jailer, the jailer would lose his own life if they escaped. So the jailer put them in, into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. So how do they respond? They praised God. It's just, it's hard to imagine, but they praised God. Verses 25 through 26, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. So, so this miracle, we love miracles, don't we? This miracle of this massive earthquake and, and doors being shaken off of their hinges and chains being ripped off of the hands and feet of prisoners, it, it gets our attention. But if we're not careful, it can also obscure this, what I think is a more relevant truth. The fact is, is that they were praising God. Miracle or no miracle, that was their standard mode of operation, to praise God in the midst of whatever circumstances you're in. Because Paul, he spent years in prison through the course of his life. The miracles sometimes came and sometimes didn't, but he always praised, tried to find a way to praise the Lord in the midst of it. That's, that's the lesson for us. How did he respond? He praised God. He, he suffered well. Let's shift gears. <clears throat> Why do we even suffer in the first place? Why do we suffer? Well, we live in a broken world. We suffer because as soon as the, the first created man and woman, Adam and Eve, 
as soon as they rebelled against God and said, I want to be in control of the universe, as soon as they said that, the universe fell apart. It fell apart. Because of this universal rebellion, all of creation lives under curse. And it's temporary uh, because of Christ's life, his, his death, his resurrection. The curse has been removed for, from those who believe. But we still live in a broken world. Look what the Apostle Paul says. As he writes to the Roman church in, in chapter 8, he says, Yet what we suffer now is nothing. It's nothing. What we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation, that's mankind, that's nature, that's the stars, the planets, everything fell under the curse. <laughs> Where am I? Against its will, all creation was subjected, subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering we too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his as his adopted children including the new bodies new bodies he has promised us we were given this hope when we were saved through our faith in Jesus Christ so what is this hope? Our friends in the Bible, they had an eternal perspective. They thought about life beyond the grave. They thought about eternity much more than they thought about the nuts and bolts of everyday life on earth. And it changed how they lived their life on earth. Tragedies, losses, they get us thinking God will use suffering and, and impending death to kind of unfasten us from the earth, to get our minds thinking about what lies beyond the grave. It's good to think about your eventual death. It is. Young people, it's good to think about your eventual death, not in a perverse way, a morbid way, or even a fearful way, but it keeps life and relationships, it keeps victories, it keeps those disappointing losses, it keeps all of that stuff in perspective. And I just love the classic uh, Francis Chan illustration. You guys may have done it up here on the stage already, I don't know, but if I, <clears throat> if I had a, uh, a, a big ball of string and I just I started unwinding this string, string and just stretching it out, through the sanctuary, out the doors, down the street, and just stretched it out as far as the eye could see. Just couldn't even see the end of it. And for illustrative purposes, I said, you know what? It never ends. 
That string just goes on and on and it will never come to an end. And I'm holding in my fingers the beginning of that string and I take a little sharpie and with this little sharpie I put a little dot right at the beginning of that string. And I told you that that little dot represents your 80 to 90 years of life on this earth. And that's eternity before you. Your life is a breath. Your life is a vapor. It's, it's nothing. And yet it's everything. It's everything. How you and I choose in that little speck, vapor, breath of a life of ours, how we choose in this life, it impacts our entire eternity. Does that not blow your mind? I mean, only God could design, design that. That's called an eternal perspective. It's living life today with your family, with the people around you, with your possessions, with, with, with everything that we have in this world. It's living life today knowing that you are just a speck of an existence in the midst of eternity. It changes everything, even how we suffer. To suffer well is to have an eternal perspective. So what does the Bible say about eternity? And specifically, it'd be really fun to unpack that, but specifically, heaven. What does the Bible say about heaven, that, that part of eternity? Revelation chapter 7, it says, <clears throat> the Apostle John says, they, those who have their faith is in Jesus Christ, they will never again be hungry or thirsty. They will never be scorched by the heat of the sun, for the Lamb on the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of life-giving water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. We see the same thing later in Revelations 21. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away for all eternity. I mean, look at that. Think about that for a second. If you right now just even took five minutes to think about all the things, all the different types of things that have made you or someone else cry or have pain or hurt, if you just think about that, that, that it's all going to be gone forever. And so, if you've ever thought about heaven, have you ever thought about heaven and just had kind of a pit in your stomach? I don't want to leave this life. Even if I'm going to go to heaven, there's just something scary about it. I'm the... If you've ever thought about heaven and had a negative thought or a pit in your stomach, you're not thinking about heaven properly because it's going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. And you'll never have to leave. You never come back from that vacation. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. 
sown. That's an agricultural term. It's, it's your body was planted on the earth. That's what they're trying to communicate. The body that is planted is perishable. It's raised imperishable. It was sown in dishonor. It was raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Look at those words. Imperishable. Your body's going to be forever young. It's never going to die. It's going to be forever healthy. It's going to be raised in glory. I don't care what you think about your body right now. When you are raised back to life, your body's going to be beautiful, glorious. Nothing on earth could even match it. And it's going to be raised in power. You are going to be raised with angelic-like power. And you just, you don't want to miss it because it's going to be incredible. So soak in the truth of this video and then we'll come up and I'll close. Of all the fears that grip our hearts, no fear is greater than the fear of death. There are those who will tell you that death is a natural part of life. But if death is just a part of life, then why does it cause us such anger and sorrow? When God created humanity, he intended for us to grow more and more beautiful over time. But in one tragic moment, we unleashed sin into the world, and everything broke, including our bodies. Death is the ultimate consequence of sin, and it fills God's heart with anger and sorrow even more than it does ours, because death was not a part of God's original plan. The Bible says that when Jesus approached the tomb of his friend Lazarus, he quaked with rage, and his eyes filled with tears. He was overwhelmed by the suffering caused by death, a curse we had brought upon ourselves. Death's curse was physical. Both the world and our bodies were decaying. But death's curse was also spiritual, eternally separating humanity from their creator, the source of all light, love, and life. But because of God's amazing love, he chose to surrender all power and glory to rescue us from death. Jesus, God's only Son, was expelled from the presence of the Father and thrust into complete darkness in our place. He took humanity's curse upon himself, breaking death's grip on us and purchasing humanity a place at the Father's side forever. A day is coming when the true King will return at last to restore the world to its full glory and us with it, renewing both soul and body. You'll still be yourself, but even more so. You'll finally be the real you. On that day, we'll look at each other and say, I always knew you could be like this. I saw glimpses of the real you, flashes of it, and now here you are. Our future is not an ethereal, impersonal one. You're not going to float through the clouds. You're going to walk. You're going to eat. You're going to laugh. You're going to hug. You're going to sing in realms and degrees of power and joy that you cannot now imagine.
Some will tell you not to fear death because it's part of life. But Jesus says not to fear death because it's been defeated. And the day will come when Jesus embraces you with his nail-scarred hands and says, Welcome home. I have so much to show you. Who suffered? Uh, Jesus suffered. How did he respond? As, uh, as you guys walk towards Easter, um, celebrating the life and the death and the resurrection of our Lord, I want to close with his words in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, he took his disciples there. He knew he was about to face the cross. He took his disciples there uh, just to, uh, to be with them. And uh, in Mark chapter 14, it says, uh, they, Jesus and the disciples, they went to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. He took Peter, James, John with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Jesus wanted companionship. He went on a little farther and fell to the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass by. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus asked for another way. I mean, listen, his, his prayer was really simple. Jesus did not want to face the cross. But if it was God's path, he would face it. And in that way, he destroyed, he destroyed Satan's hold on mankind. So I guess to suffer well, to suffer well does not mean that you don't cry to suffer well does not mean that, that you don't get scared, and it doesn't mean that you don't have some doubts along the way. But Jesus had an eternal perspective. He was able to look at the cross, and he was able to look beyond the cross of, of what was next. That's the eternal perspective. And because of that, he could put his past and his present and his future in God's hands. He suffered well. And Jesus Christ uh, and the power of the Holy Spirit living in you who believe, Jesus will help you and I do the same thing. So blessings to you, and uh, let me pray, and then we'll finish with some worship. Just confess to you out loud that we don't know uh, how best to, how to suffer. We confess to you out loud that we don't want to suffer. Um, but, Father, we do just entrust our lives and the lives of the people around us. We entrust our lives to you. Uh, please open up your word to us this week. Anybody who jumps into this, Father, I pray that you would bless them and guide them and uh, instruct them. 
And uh, please, Father, encourage us. Please bring men and women around, uh, anybody in this room who might be going through a difficult time. I pray that you would uh, not only flood them with your spirit, um, draw them to you, but, Father, you would bring people into their world to encourage them and walk with them. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.